Welcome to Bible Study. It's a privilege to welcome you again, and uh, today we are going to look at our last uh, Bible study from this series. And I would like you to take a pen or a piece of paper because there will be some texts to share today and you may want to just jot down. I would like to just um, welcome our panel today and have a full house here today, which is great. And um, I will start um, from my left here. Uh, Ken, thank you for coming to this Bible study. Always a pleasure, Nick, to be here. Thank you. And... Um, I'm going around there. I will uh, say welcome to Harvey. Greetings to everyone on this special time. Good to have you with us, Harvey. And Helen, thank you for joining us also. Thank you. We've got a great study coming up to finish this um, this study. This is just amazing. Looking That's forward to it. That's right. And Lija, uh, welcome also. It's a privilege to be here. As usual, we have our uh, facilitator for the last period of time. Len is uh, very uh, dedicated to put together and to facilitate uh, these Bible discussions. And I would like to just uh, hand it over to him right now. Len, welcome to the program. Yes, I feel welcome. And hello, listeners. Well, we want to welcome you, too, because if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't even bother doing this. We hope you enjoyed Christmas. And although the time of Christ's birth is not definitely known, we hope that you are able to express your thanks to God for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Last week, we considered unity that comes about through church organisation. And the key to unity in the church is that everyone, especially the church leaders, that they are truly spiritual and are in positions of leadership because they are willing to serve the people in their care. And Jesus provided a wonderful example of servant leadership. Next week, we will begin a series of exciting studies on the Bible book of Revelation. Keep your radios tuned and, and don't miss these studies, whatever you do. Today, we're going to be talking about the final restoration of unity. And before we begin this study, Ken, would you mind praying for us and the listeners? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we're so happy to be here today and to share your word to our many, many listeners, wherever they may be. We pray, Lord God, for each and every one of them that the Holy Spirit may touch their heart, that they may open their heart and their head to Jesus and may seek him out while he may still be found. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ken. Well, Harvey, I have a really doozy of a question to start off with today. And this is it. When you get to heaven and occupy the place Christ has prepared for you, is there anyone who you would not like to live next to? And why? It's a good way to start, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I think I can honestly say absolutely not. In fact, if I've had people that I haven't been able to get on with well and everything, I would be more than delighted to think that they've made heaven and I'd be happy to live alongside them because they might get a surprise to see me there. I'll probably get a surprise to see them there. But the surprise would be a good one, not a bad one. Mm. Yes, I like the way you answered that because... If there was somebody you would not like to be living next to in heaven, they would say to me that heaven would not be a place of unity. 
Well, Helen, will there be unity in heaven? I believe absolutely. You know, there will be people that won't accept Christ and and they they won't be there. They won't honour and serve Christ. Well, they wouldn't be happy anyway. But sinners and troublemakers will not be there, will not be there. And I think because Christ is the centre in, in heaven, it will be unity. It will be perfect. It will be harmony. It will be peace, something which I guess we find very hard to get our minds around because of the world that we live in. Mm. Yes, we we really got not very much to compare with, except we know that we don't live in a good place right at the moment. I'd like to add a little bit to, to that uh, question, Len. I believe that for us now it's more important to realize and to be assured that we don't have anybody living next, next to us which we don't get along with them right here. Because if that's a problem, then uh, probably we not we are not going to have too many hopes about uh, the new earth, you know, and heaven. We need to start living heaven, if you like, here on earth, and sort out some things right now. If we if we have something happening, and I think that's yeah, it's a very challenging thing to to acknowledge. Yes. All right, Ledger. I believe you've got something you would like to say here. Our oneness in Christ is often challenged by our human limitations and weaknesses. But in heaven, we will no longer need to seek for solutions to our fragmentation because uh, there will be no fragmentation. At the second coming, uh, the second advent, we will all be one with our Lord finally reunited and forming one restored family. Yes, now coming back to that original question that I I put to Harvey, you might be thinking, well, if the person I don't really want to live next to is there, I hope they've changed. But the point is, we all will be changed. We all need to be changed. We all need to be, but we all will be changed into the likeness of our Lord will take on his values and that um, entails respecting and loving other people. Len, I just uh, want to continue a little bit on that. We all will be changed and must say that all those people who do the will of God, who accept Jesus Christ uh, here, will be changed. Because uh, there are people who will say that, you know what, you know, but God's grace, God is so good, you know, and it's a, it, and God is, but people believe that even to the death, you know, people will be will be changed. Whatever you do, you know, God is merciful. And I have right now actually somebody asking me. Their father passed away, and I said, Nick, can you please pray, pray for his soul? You know, for uh, it's dead already, but they asking me if I can pray for this soul. And unfortunately, to say this, you know, I would love to, but it's not going to do anything to that person anymore which means we need to do it now. And that's why people who will be changed will be those people who will do the will of God. Yes, no, I, I agree with you, Nick. I think that's a good point you've I, raised. I have uh. something also to add to this. Uh, and I do believe that my own character, the way is formed on this earth, there's nothing to be changed when I will be there because God is going to change us just 
physically to change us from our uh, sinful nature. But the only one thing that we remain untouched is our character. Mm. The way we let God and the Holy Spirit form it in our life on earth is going to stay the same. Yes, that's a good point. Thank you, Ledger. Ken, of all the things you hope for, what is your greatest hope? Well, then, go and answer it by reading John 14, verses 1 to 3. Tis let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now, uh, I think that's uh, really amazing what's in there. And, of course, uh, our greatest hope, of course, well, speaking personally anyway, but I'm sure most people would agree, is that when that fantastic day comes and, and Jesus arrive, ar- arrives in the clouds, is to be called up to meet him in the air. Mm. Well, I'm, that's my hope too, Ken. We're on the same page here. <laughs> what are the implications to be called by Jesus, Helen? Well, I think we all want to live in happiness and harmony with our Lord, and we want others to do so likewise. But I think we need to remember that he has already prepared um, the way to eternal life for us. And the only issue that may still be unsettled is our willingness to believe and Mm. to accept that is a wonderful gift. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to living in harmony. I'm looking forward to, to living in happiness, but I'm especially looking forward to being with the Lord. Yes. The call of Jesus the is the beginning yeah. of something which is beyond our comprehension. Yes, Ken? Len, something I'd really like to add. Uh, this may sound a bit strange to some of us, but one of the main things I'm really, really looking forward to when the Lord returns is the end of sin. I just can't wait for that day, for that to happen. I'd like to sort of think in terms of what was said before. We were talking about our characters, because our characters are what we're going to be taking with us. But please understand that our characters are what we want it to be. For instance, if you're the thief on the cross and you've you've not got a character that's worth taking to heaven, that's for sure, but they put their faith and trust in God. And we ourselves, I believe, want to do the right thing. And that's what's going to be confirmed in us when Jesus gives us the change. And it will be a change. But our, it won't be a case of... We will or we won't, we will or we won't. It'll be a case of we want to do that which is right and that will be confirmed for eternity for us. Yes. Now, just before we were discussing the implications of when Jesus comes back to collect the saints, and I hope that we're amongst them, and I hope you are too, listeners, that that is the beginning of something which is totally beyond our imagination except that we will be with God in heaven and later the new earth. Now, Harvey, what would you think are the implications, particularly for us as Christians, if Jesus does not come back to collect the redeemed? Well, I personally think it's 
beyond our worst dreams if that actually was truth. To think that all the evil, all the disunity, all the strife and all the commotion and all the physical issues that are faced, whether it be global or whether it be personal, to think that that's not going to change is not something that we would want to look forward to. The very fact of it going to change to being a perfect world, everything right, is also almost beyond our imagination, but it is something to hope for, whereas if it wasn't going to change, that means there is no hope, and mm. a person needs hope to live. Of course. Where there is no hope, the people perish. Ken? Uh, Leon, I'd just like to throw something in that's uh, somewhat a little bit outside of this, but I would like to mention it. We're talking here about Jesus uh, if he was not to come back. I'd just like to explain to our listeners that there's a, uh, a thing called the Doomsday Clock. I don't know if many people have heard of this, but this is an organization set up many, many years ago. I think it was the 30s or 40s by a group of non-Christian scientists and they have been looking at the world events from then until now and they reckon that at midnight, as they put it on their clock, that's going to be the end of the world. Now, recently when I was looking at this clock on the internet, scientists have now got it down, I think it's three minutes to midnight before they realise that this world is coming to a tragic end. So if Jesus wasn't to come back, there's no hope for any of us. No. Helen? I remember reading about a great disappointment in 1844, how people were expecting to have Christ come back on a certain time. And the, you read the stories of the people then, the Millerites and what have you, and the great disappointment that they felt. Now, if Christ wasn't ever to come back again, I think it would supersede even that disappointment. Mm. I mean, the world would eventually implode. I mean, there's just no way it can keep going the way it is. And, and he is our greatest hope. He is the blessed hope that he is coming. And I have a surety of that from Scripture, that he is coming. We just don't know when. Yes. Also on this uh, study today, we are talking about that uh, blessed hope, Helen, as you just uh, mentioned. And as Christians, and even ourselves here, uh, put together this program, we are here because we believe in the first advent of Jesus Christ. And that was pointed out through the whole Bible, you know, uh, how Jesus will come and that did happen, which means there should not be any doubt about the second coming of Jesus Christ because as it happened to be to come here as a newborn baby and to to take the sin which were pressing upon us, you know, take away the sin he did that part and he promised us that he will come again to take us home to be with him where he prepared a place for us. We should not have even a doubt of question about the second coming of Jesus Christ as Christians. Uh, no, I don't. I don't have any doubts about it. Jesus is coming again. I stake my life on it. But I'd just like us to consider, and Harvey's already outlined some of the things. You know, some of Australia has been suffering a drought now for quite a long time. And if those people living on the land had no idea that the drought was ever going to break, how would they feel? Totally discouraged, they would probably give up. 
but because they have hopes that one day the drought will break and things will come good again, is a little bit like what it, we're talking about here in a spiritual sense. We know that Jesus is coming again. Therefore, we have hope. We uh, can be encouraged. But if he was not coming again, I don't think life would be worth living. I love your thought about the, um, the drought and the farmer. Uh, and yes, it is discouraging. And there are many things on this earth that are discouraging. But think about how they feel when the rains come. It's just such a blessedness, you know. And how are we going to feel when Christ comes and breaks the spiritual drought, drought that's on this earth? And maybe, maybe for these people, it's a it's a period of trial and hardship, just uh, because the Lord God Jesus wants them to realize that there is a Creator there in heaven who holds um, the earth in His hands, and He wants them. To come to him to ask for rain and he wants them to come to the point to receive Jesus as their own savior in their own hearts mm. who knows that yeah and I just want to add one more thing because uh, this uh, topic right now I was talking to quite few people from different uh, denomination and ministers and always was pointed out to me that the second coming of Jesus Christ is not the thing which we should be really focusing, you know, because we don't know when that will happen, but we need to focus just on to, to love God and to be good Christians and so on. And I, you know, I was troubled by that because actually the Bible is pointing us clearly to us that the second coming of Jesus Christ, it's at the door. It's at hand. And we should be prepared now, as we talk right now, as we see things happening around, we cannot afford just to say, oh yeah, maybe he'll come one day, who knows when. I believe he's at the door, he'll come very soon. And we need to preach that, and we need to share that with everyone. Because, as I said, I had encounters with so many people thinking, oh, you should not preach about, uh, or talk about that, because it may not happen, who, who who know for how many years? That's not our problem. Interestingly, the text that Ken re read, John 14, 1 to 3, Jesus himself said it, let not your heart be troubled. And he said, this is what he's holding out so that we have hope. He's, he's giving us the hope. So if God, Jesus wants to give us hope, shouldn't we pass that hope on to other people? The fact that Jesus is coming back and soon. And many times I wonder how many people are longing for Jesus coming and how many people are praying for that. One of the other uh, important things is that the Bible does clearly tell us that we should be watching continually for the return of Jesus. But I also understand that there, there are many people out there who, have be, who may be saying, well, look, uh, many people over the years have talked about Jesus coming for a long, long time and uh, it could be a long, long time before this actually happens. But the reality is for those Christians who know the Bible and study it really well, we can all see that it's actually very, very close this time. I'd just like to add on what you just said, Ken. Many people are saying, oh, yes, he delays, he's coming. Oh, yes, we've seen this for many years. Isn't that a fulfillment of prophecy? Didn't Jesus actually say there will come scoffers saying, you know, where is his coming? Yes. yes. And, and I actually said that to somebody one day when they said, 
the same things. And I said, you've actually just fulfilled prophecy. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, we've got yes. to be very careful. And I think Jesus' delays of his coming is because they are there you know, on this earth, some people who just don't know about him. And he wants them to know about him and come back to him. Mm. Actually, to Helen, I believe it was the Apostle Peter who wrote about the scoffers. But anyhow, let's move on. Now, some of you, I'd like you to read various texts. Uh, Ken, if you would mind reading Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 3, and then later, straight after, Lydia, if you would read 11, verse 2 as emphasis, and Helen, if you would read Luke 4, verses 18 and 20. And I'll, I'll ask the question. So let's hear the verses first. Okay, I'm reading out of the King James Version, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall be shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither approve after the hearing of his ears. All right. Now, let you, if you wouldn't mind, just uh, reading verse two again. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So it means Jesus, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Okay, thank you. And straight away, Helen, if you would read Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 20. Yes, love to. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and these are the words that Jesus said himself in the synagogue. said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And verse 20 says, Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Okay, so who is this prophecy in Isaiah 11 about? Well, it's actually speaking about Jesus before he's actually come. Yes. yes. Now, is there any way that you can prove that? Actually, the proof is there in what H Helen just read. Jesus himself said, if, if, you, if you read it, he said, the first part said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Yes. And the me is him. It's and Jesus. In, in Isaiah 11, verse 2, I think it said, this person, this one that the prophecy is about, the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him. Uh -huh. Well, there are many other proof texts, but this I thought was important, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, in him. And not only what uh, Jesus just confirmed by what he was saying, because people can say, you know, but he said that about himself. There were people in his time which they wondered about him and even asked question, who is this? Isn't he the son of Joseph, you know, the carpenter? <laughs> Where does he have that wisdom from, you know? People were recognizing in him and even so uh, many people saying, I mean, just throwing few thoughts from the Bible, not pointing to the verses, but even a Roman soldier, you know, 
to say about Jesus, he truly was the son of God. Mm. You know, and there are many verses in the Bible which what I believe when you're asking that question is that the Bible and the prophecy it's confirming what was said about Jesus Christ and that's what we are um, invited to look carefully into the prof- prophecy and the fulfillment of the prophecy because the prophecy the prophecy is talking also about the second coming of Jesus Christ as we are uh, talking today Jesus was talking with his with his disciples on one occasion and also speaking to the rulers he said you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and then he said the most amazing thing he said but they are they which testify of me mm. and the scriptures they had were the old testament not the new testament that's right and so if they read the old testament as it should have been it was all pointing forward to Jesus coming the first time. Okay. Didn't Ken actually mention in the reading that he said that there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse? That was prophetic in itself, you know, the rod, the branch, that's that's um, messianic terms. Yes, yes, all right, let's move on. Harvey, would you read Isaiah 11, uh, going on from where we were before, verses 4 and 5? Sure. And this is from the New King James Version. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Here we have a a passage that's really talking about Jesus' role to bring reconciliation back to unity sin is going to be no more it's a case of righteousness will reign completely throughout all of creation if you really think about it the work of Christ is the work of reconciliation reconciling man to God and reconciling man to man that's his work and um you know, it's all very well to talk about Christmas and Easter and so on, but you've got to recognise that Jesus came with a very specific purpose. It's the purpose of reconciliation, which has in its wake unity. Lydia, would you read Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through to 9? I will read from New International Version. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lay down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. This is amazing. It's a perfect harmony in heaven between people and the animals also, which is amazing. Mm. See, in all of those cases given, one was a danger. Well, in the earth as we know it now, one is a danger, one is innocent. But here it's showing that what God has got planned for mankind 
even those things that are naturally dangerous, they won't be dangerous anymore. There's going to be harmony right through everywhere. There'll be no predators and prey. No, that's a that's a good. <laughs> you put it into the right words for me. And just an observation there, because we were talking about the change of the human state. You know, like we will be changed. But interesting that all the everything else will be changed. Animals, you know, even thinking uh, when you myself, I don't like snakes. You know, even though I uh, I uh, kind of play with them when I play. I mean, like try to get rid of them. But uh, always people associate a snake, you know, with with sin because of the story in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, oh, snakes wouldn't be there in heaven, you know. Uh, but there will be all sorts of things which uh, at some point maybe represent sin as ourselves because we represent sin more than anything else. And But God will change and will make all those things to be uh, perfect for the pleasure, if you like, of ourselves and uh, and to have a relationship with God. Nick, I'd, I'd just like to clarify a little bit on that in case some of our listeners aren't too sure. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to the earth to set it up initially. He's only coming back into the sky where all the believers will be raised with him to heaven for some time until the earth is changed. Okay, thank you, Ken. Helen? I think, just thinking what Nick was saying, you know, that you won't have those fear, if you like, you know, that you have. I had a spider crawl across the floor the other day and, and I yelled and the, the spider, I'm sure it hell heard me. <laughs> it just went berserk. Um, but, you know, I, I think the, the text that Ken read out before John 14 where it says, let not your heart be troubled. And with the new earth, we won't be troubled. We won't have a fear of those things. And as it says, children will be able to play with even what we would have considered dangerous animals. I think that's just a beautiful picture, Mm. beautiful picture. Now, from um, Isaiah chapter 11, the prophecy about Christ and what he does, we recognise that Christ has come to bring unity, unity between man and God, man and man. Helen, in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 10 going further down into this prophecy, what happens when Christ is the centre of people's lives right now and later on? Well, let let me read that text for you. And again, from the New King James Version, Isaiah 11, verse 10, it says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. It talks about Jesus standing as a banner. A banner is a rallying symbol, if you like to think of it that way, where people from all the earth, Jews, Gentiles, whoever, will meet together, and then there will be the harmony that we are so longing for, the peace, the rest. Yes. It will come about. And your version said a resting place mm. in him. Yes, is shall a, be glorious. Yes. So yeah. we can see again that the work of Christ is for reconciliation and for unity. And he's the centre, the centre of it all, the centre of people's of lives. In yeah. fact, he's the centre of the whole Bible, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. All right, Ken. Now, there are some other places in scriptures that talk about Christ his kingdom that he's setting up. Uh, Would you kindly read for us, please, Revelation chapter 21 and the first five verses. Again, we're reading from the uh, King James Version. 
chapter, Revelation 21, 1 to 5. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. All right, so here, you, here John is given a vision of heaven and the earth made new. What was it like? In Just summarize. I what think it, is it like, I should say, <laughs> not was. I think it's really beyond our understanding and imagination. It's just going to be absolute paradise with peace and love. And, uh, I mean, uh, just alone thinking of not having any more pain of any description is just way, way past our understanding. Yeah. Even though we're thinking that, yeah, we are limited in in thinking and uh, it can really pass our own understanding, each one of us, we are dreaming right now for better things, you know. Each one of us, we have, a, um, you know, in ourselves, a vision, if you like, of something good. And if that's possible from a um, sinful nature, you know, to think about good things, even if I'll ask you now, how would you like to have um, this new year coming? Like, uh, how will you portray that? You, you can talk about very nice things, you know, how you like to be. But imagine when God will make everything new wipe off the old things which we experience today and make it everything new i believe yeah i, I have myself sometime uh, um, visions of uh, how that can be and i'm sure that the lord will really surprise us with even much more than we can think i'm sure it's going to be hundreds of times better Yes, mm. maybe so, even thousands. <laughs> so we've got a picture from John and also from Isaiah about what lies in the future. How does it compare? There is such an enormous contrast between our life here on earth as we live now, where is trouble, sickness, separation, stress, uh, insecurity, fear, um, sicknesses and everything, comparing with the life that is promised by the Lord is beyond our compare. Our minds and uh, are so limited and the words are so poor to express that. It's uh, I think uh, we just cannot uh, name it. It's absolute perfectionism, absolute harmony, so, absolute divinity, let's say. So is it worth waiting for? Mm. Yes. Is it worth working for? Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's go on. Helen, do you like to share with us? Yeah, I think there are people on this earth that believe that it's all fantasy, that, um, that, you know, it's not true, it's not real what's happened. But in many places, the Bible actually declares that this eternal home of the redeemed will be a real place. Yes. 
a very real place. It's not an imagined fantasy or a dream. The redeemed will be able to see, to hear, to smell, to touch, feel a new experience, a new life. And there's a prophecy of Isaiah 11. It's a beautiful passage foretelling the coming of the Messiah who will create a new era. He will end all violence. He will usher in eternal peace. The reign of God on this new earth will establish universal harmony. Mm. It is a real place. Yeah. Well, I'm waiting for it. Yeah, it's my home and I'm looking forward to going home. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, let's move on in this study. Harvey, would you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18. This is talking about the coming of Christ. Yes, it's also probably one of my favourite passages in all of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 13 to 18 and this is from the New King James Version. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So what does that mean to you? And so we shall be all, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. What does it mean for you? Well, I suppose from my own personal perspective, the concept of being with Jesus forever is beyond my wildest imaginations. You know, we have, and we'll be talking a little bit about that shortly, about what the new Jerusalem's even going to be like, although I don't know that we can picture it at all. Our minds don't stretch that far, I think. But the thing is, the thing that I want more than anything is to be able to see Jesus face to face and to thank him for what he's done. And it's it's an amazing thought that that will be our privilege through all eternity to have face-to-face communion with God the Father, God the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it will be something beyond our imagination, to say the least. Somebody said to me, won't that be boring? Well, you know, when I married my wife, a long time ago, I still enjoy being with her. And I think we will have that same experience. I had a conversation with quite a few people and they, uh, some of them said, oh, I, I will never want to be in heaven. I think it's going to be so boring just sitting on a cloud and playing the harp all the time. But I was, I was laughing because it's not going to be so. Uh, we will have a normal life over there and there are so many things to explore and to do that is not going to be a boring life. Just coming back to your question, because really, yeah, a thought came into my mind. As God was uh, after the um, creation, you know, and um, talking to the first people on this earth, interesting that God was talking to them in terms of warning. 
to be careful, you know, not to eat from the that tree of, uh, um, you know, the forbidden tree, and so, so on. But God is talking about now the second coming and the redemption, and with the promise that we will be with Him forever. Now, in terms of at the beginning, because God knew that the enemy is going to strike, is going to attack, is going to create panic, whatever, you know. But he came, he dealt with that. He became victorious once and for all. And now the promise awaits us to be with him forever. Yes. I think that Christ's second coming will affect all humanity in a very profound ways. An important aspect of the establishment of God's kingdom is the gathering of the elect. And in Matthew chapter 24 verse 31, it says, And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. At the moment of this gathering, the righteous dead will be resurrected and receive immortality. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52 and 53. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 says that the dead in Christ will rise first. This is the moment we all have been waiting for. The resurrected ones will reunite with those who have been longing for their presence and love. This is how Paul exalts at this event. He says in 1 Corinthians 15.55, O death, where is your sting? O hates, where is your victory? It is not a deceased, age, disfigured bodies that went down into the grave that come up in the resurrection, but new, immortal, perfect bodies no longer marked by the sin that caused their decay. The resurrected saints experience the completion of Christ's work of restoration, reflecting the perfect image of God intended at creation. My dear old man, was nearly 101 when she died and she was looking forward to this time. Not only will there be unity amongst all God's people, but there will be, we won't have those aches and pains and broken bodies and so on. And I've got something I'm looking forward to too because I've got some artificial bones in one of my legs. So I'd like to have proper bones. Anyhow, that's just beside the point. Now, Revelation 22, the last chapter in the whole of the, the Bible, is part of the vision given to the prophet John about the physical aspects of the place promised that he was going to prepare for his people. And that's called the New Jerusalem or the Holy City. Helen, would you read Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through to 5? Sure do. Reading again from the New King James Version says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, 
and in the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign for ever and ever. Yes, thank you. Now, when you said there shall be no more curse, do we have curses? Are we living in a, uh, a world of curse? Yes, I sin. So. Sin, yeah, we're cursed by sin. Yes, we're cursed by death and all that. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask you, what's the significance of the water of life coming out from under the throne of God? Well, I think it's very interesting. This is mentioned there. It was also Jesus offered the Samaritan woman, you know, the water of life, living water, that she would thirst no more. Um, I believe that it is it is life from God. It is God as the life giver. We're created by him. He sustains us now and will continue to do through do so throughout all eternity i also believe it's a new covenant ministry of the holy spirit for when jesus went back he promised us the comforter you know and he would be forever with us coming from the lamb coming from the throne of god mm. oh, thank you helen and just on the, on that one um, life coming under the throne of god through the living water uh, we will be still governed and that's important because people may think that, okay, in the, on the new earth, you know, you can do whatever you like. You know, it's up to you how to make your life beautiful. Actually not. That's why we are in chaos right now here because we want to do whatever we like. And we can't, obviously, because of the circumstances. But we will be there to worship God, to praise his name, to be with him and to get life and everything else from him forever. Isn't it a case, um, Nick, of being so in tune with God, whether on this earth or in an earth made new, that what we want will be his will anyway? Yes. Won't it? Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. Mm. All right. Well, Harvey, in Revelation 21, verses 15 to 26, which is quite a section to read, is a description of the place that Jesus has gone back to prepare, which uh, is called the Holy City. Would you like to just tell a little bit of what the Bible says about that? Yes, sure, Len. Um, I won't read it, but I suggest that anybody who hasn't read it should go to their Bibles. Revelation 21, verses 15 to 26, well worth a read. And it describes the New Jerusalem. I suspect it's describing New Jerusalem in human terms, describing something that John the Revelator saw, but he found difficult to describe because it was not the way we understand things. It spoke about the size of the New Jerusalem being enormous, to say the least, but it says that it's as wide as it is long as it is tall like a big cube now we i think that's describing something in a way we don't understand but it also speaks about what it's being made of it speaks of walls of jasper it says that the gates are going to be made of pearl not a whole lot of pearls but each gate will be of a single pearl 
I don't think we can understand what a pearl would be like for that sort of size. And the foundations of the New Jerusalem, there are 12 different foundations, and they are all listed there as being precious stones, or what we call semi-precious stones. But I'm sure it's there for the beauty of the situation, because God is making a city for us which is beyond compare. We cannot compare it with anything we have even seen or imagined. And after all, we like the concept of gold. It speaks about the streets are going to be paved with gold. You can't get much more common than paved surfaces. But the gold is going to be different. It's going to be the purity that's going to be clear like glass and it's going to be in its purest form. I think it's a case of that John was trying to explain something that he couldn't. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, I am excited about the concept of going into that city. I sort of get a, a sort of a daydream, I suppose, sometimes, and you think, walking along the, one of the streets with Jesus. Now, this is in our concept of streets and everything, which probably is altogether wrong. But you look at the buildings and you say, wow, you know, and it's the whole thing will be a wow, I suspect. Mm. And then you come across and Jesus said, what do you think of that one? And you look at it and you say, wow, that's even better if it's possible. He said, I thought you might say that because that's yours. <laughs> you know, it's an imagination. It's not necessarily right. true. But God is, Jesus went back to prepare a place for us. And it's not going to be something that we don't like. It'll be something that we cannot do anything but like. Very highly desired. And also somebody just said about the commonality, you know, of things in heaven. The desire of human being on this earth is to chase the gold and the treasures and everything else, you know. But in heaven will be so common that probably our attention will be not necessarily towards that thing, but will be more to be with Jesus, with God, and to worship that. That will be very common, those things, you know. And that's why uh, in the Bible we find out, the uh, verse says, put your treasure, put your desire, put your whatever you wanted on this earth in heaven, you know. It's oh. already there in heaven. Unfortunately, here we running after the treasures and we may not find it, never find it. And even if you find it, you find out that doesn't give you the um, satisfaction which we you like it before, but in heaven it's a different kind of uh, enjoyment, yeah. if you like. Okay, Ken, would you mind reading Revelation chapter 21 and verse 27? And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So what's that say to you? Well, it means that heaven's going to be an absolutely amazing place, as we've mentioned before. I don't think any of us understand. There will be absolutely nothing there at all which will cause anyone any sort of problems because everyone will be like-minded in so much as we will all be seeking the best of others and seeking to serve our Lord God. Yes, there'll be no disunity. Helen, would you read Isaiah 65, verse 17? then 20 through to 25. I would love to. When I looked at this verse previously, I thought, that's a long section. And then I thought, 
there's no way you can cut it down. Mm -hmm. It's just beautiful. So let me read it. Verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. And verse 20 goes on. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days, for the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labour in vain or bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Mm. So is this going to be a patch-up job? Absolutely not. It says there are new heavens and a new earth. Although some people have got an idea that uh, when Jesus comes, he's going to set up his kingdom here and and it'll be, he's just going to sort of shift a few things out of the way and so on. No, the Bible says there will be a new heavens and a new earth. He's not just going to turn the tables over like he did when he walked on this earth. No. It's he's getting rid of them. So in that description that Helen read, Ledger, do you see anything about disunity? No, none, none whatsoever. It's it's absolute unity, perfect unity. I can't find the right word to say, but it's going to be an absolute perfectionism. And God, God's plan for me and you and each of us is to enjoy eternal life, joy and happiness. And in in John 3.16, it says, For whosoever believes in him shall inherit the eternal life. So this is an open door for everybody to enjoy eternal life. Well, I take this personally too. And you said it, God's plan for me, for each of us, is to enjoy eternal peace, eternal joy, eternal happiness and I'd just like to come back to what Nick was saying a little bit before before we wind this up today we were, I asked the question about will heaven be boring and you the answers I heard were definitely not I believe that we have not yet experienced the greatest joy, the greatest pleasure that can be enjoyed by human beings We have various things which give us a lot of pleasure, but I think the greatest pleasure will be to be in the presence of him who saved us for eternity. We read in Revelation about the uh, 24 elders around the throne uh, saying, praising praising Jesus and saying, worthy, worthy, you are worthy, and they keep doing this over and over again. You think, how can they keep doing it? But they want to. They want to express their gratitude and their happiness in being in the presence of the Lord. Listeners, all of us presenting this study for you today 
are patiently yet excitedly awaiting the time of Jesus' return. The world holds very feeble attractions for us compared to what God has prepared for us in the future. We have the blessed hope and we pray that you have set a course in your lives to commit yourself to Jesus Christ and be part of the glorious future he has in mind for you. We're going to stop now, but before we do, Helen, would you like to pray for us and the listeners too as they contemplate what we've presented them today? I'd love to, Lynn. Thank you. Let's pray. Our kind, loving Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the knowledge that we're gaining through Scripture of the things that you are preparing for us and have prepared for us. We long for heaven and home. I pray that none of us will be missing. I pray, Lord, that although we still see sorrows in this world, that you will help us to remember that very soon you're coming back to restore this world so we can spend eternity with you. We do long for that day, Father. I pray that not one person within the sound of my voice will will leave the study without recommitting their life to you right now, that we may all be waiting, ready, watching, longing for your return, sharing with others that others can be there too, is my prayer in the precious, loving name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Helen. And thank you, listeners, for being part of this Bible study today. And we here all wish you a happy new year. And may may Jesus come soon for you as well as for us. Thank you very much, uh, Len, for uh, for that. And also, I would like personally to thank you for uh, coming uh, for this Bible study. Um, and um, yeah, all through the season um, and different topics, uh, we have different people. And I would like to thank all of them who took time to come and to share and to learn together to be prepared for that glorious event and uh, amazing things which God prepared for us. May God bless you also and be with you as you uh, go further uh, in, um, in your experience with God. And looking forward for the new topic, as you just mentioned at the beginning, uh, about Revelation. That will be an amazing Bible study. May God uh, bless each one of you.